This reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, which is on page 1178 in the Church Bibles and page 1783 in large print. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much uh, for reading. Uh, please do keep that passage open. It'd be a great help to me uh, if you're able to uh, follow along uh, as we go. Now, uh, before we start, let me uh, just pray for our time together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much uh, for this time. I pray that by your spirit, uh, you would uh, unstop our ears. Pray that you would uh, soften and ready our hearts. Would you quicken our minds? And would you speak to us uh, by your spirit and through your word? Might we see more of your glory, of your love for us? And I pray that our hearts would be captivated by that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I said, we're taking a, a short break from journeying through Mark's gospel, and uh, we're uh, just diving into, into this passage here. Because I, I just want us to spend a little bit of time uh, tonight reflecting on, on where we are <clears throat> ourselves on our Christian journey. I want us to think about that, and I'd love for us uh, to pray about that as well. Uh, it's not a question just for us individually, uh, but it's a prayer and a request and a, and a hope for the whole church family. And as I do that, I want us uh, uh, to climb inside uh, some of these verses that we have read this evening. Uh, and I'd love it if uh, we were able, again, just to remind ourselves of what God is doing in the big picture, in the really, really big picture, and for that uh, to fill our hearts and for us to give thanks in our hearts uh, for that. But I also uh, want us uh, to pray about what the big picture of what God is doing of what the big picture that God is doing uh, means for us individually uh, and as a church. And for us to be able to uh, join, if you like, the big picture uh, and the small picture, if you like, where we find uh, ourselves. Because I think as we can see, as we, as we can see more and more uh, of those uh, two things, um, it will draw our hearts toward our Father in heaven and it will transform our lives both individually and corporately. So 
Uh, to help us uh, see that, would it, could I have my slides, please? Okay, thank you. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, that's the spoiler. Okay, erase that from your memory. There we go, there we go. Uh, so uh, to help us see those things, I want to just lift out uh, two things from our reading, a big picture uh, and a small picture. I want us to see a love that draws us in. Okay, a love that draws us in, that's the big picture. And I want us to see a love that transforms. Okay, that's the small picture uh, that, uh, that, that we're talking about. So firstly, uh, a love that draws us in. Uh, Mrs. Claire and I were at uh, the wedding of uh, a friend of ours, a young friend, uh, a couple of months ago, and I got chatting uh, to his, uh, his brother, a uh, chap that I know uh, quite well, known over a number of years, and he was telling me about the fun that he was having uh, while, while he was uh, living and working in Australia uh, for a global consulting firm. And so I asked him, I said, uh, uh, what, what are you living for? What are you living for? And he told me about all the things that he was doing uh, with this firm in Australia and all that that had allowed him to do, the places that he uh, and his girlfriend were able to dine out, the friends that they had, uh, where they could travel to, uh, the sports and the surfing he was able to enjoy. And uh, he kind of, with, with champagne in hand, he looked at me and he said, I'm loving life, absolutely loving life. So I said, uh, that's great, but, but what are you living for what are you living for what's the story that you tell yourself that helps you make sense of everything that you're doing and in that moment there was a real sense of realization that for him the big story for his life well that was just his job that was his job the narrative arc of his whole life Everything that gave him a sense of meaning and purpose sat beneath the story of his job, his status, his money, his travel. That was the big love that he was living for. And he realized that his job was the story that he told himself to make sense of everything. And at that moment, that realization, he suddenly stopped and he said, hmm, Saab, you always make me think. Just for a moment. And in that moment, he realized that he was sheltering his entire life underneath a really small and constraining story. For him, it was work. That was his big story. That was the big love of his life. The story that his life sat inside. And for others, there'll be different stories. Uh, Family, education, uh, looks, maybe money, sports, uh, political or social causes, whatever it is. Because... Whether we know it or not, we all need to make sense of our lives. And we do that by placing our life underneath some narrative arc, underneath some overarching story. But the trouble is that if we choose anything that is rooted in this world, it will fail us or it will be taken from us. Careers will come to an end. If there's a reversal or if we're retiring, health is fragile and ultimately that goes. Money can't really protect us from the vicissitudes of life. Our children, they'll leave home. And death ultimately robs us of the people that we love the most. And what we need is a picture that is bigger than these small 
stories. We need to know the biggest and the truest account of all of reality. We need to lift our eyes up to the biggest explanation of what's going on. We need that big truth. And we see that in our reading. Take a look with me at verses uh, 1 and 2. Paul opens his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, uh, Paul opens his letter by pointing us to the big truth. Paul tells us in verse 1, That for those who believe in Christ, those who trust in Christ, that we are God's people. And that means we find ourselves at peace with God. That we are no longer enemies of God. And that's not because of anything that we've done. That's because of God's grace, his unmerited love for each one of us. And the second component of the big truth is in verse 6. Take a look with me. Where Paul says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That there is a day in the future where what God has done and is doing will be brought to completion, will be brought to fruition. So there's something that God has done, verses 1 to 2, and there's something that God will do in verse 6. So the big picture is a love That draws us in. And I'm going to use a cartoon uh, to illustrate this big picture. So, before all things, we have God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From all eternity, they existed in perfect union and in fellowship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loving one another, glorifying one another, and praising one another in all eternity. And the heart of that relationship, the heart of the Godhead, we find love. We're told in the Bible that God is love. And out of that love, God created all things. And God placed humanity in a unique and in a privileged place. We're appointed as vice regents to steward all things and to live face to face in a loving relationship with our Father in heaven. God gave us all things. He placed his love on us, he made us in his image, and he breathed his life into us. In short, he gave us his heart. We were created to live face to face with him. In Genesis, we read that he walked in the cool of the, gar- in the, cool of the afternoon in the garden together with man. His relationship was designed for all eternity. But we're told, aren't we, in Genesis that we rebelled, humanity rebelled, we rejected the one who had given us all things, and humanity was therefore rejected from God's presence. The world that God had created perfectly for us now became the world that we had spoiled. Death comes into the world. God promises to return, and that return is called the day of the Lord. And the prophets of old describe this as the most terrible day. A day when humanity will have to pay the price of our rebellion against God. And God tells us that at the end of time, he will return. And he will ask each one of us to stand before him in judgment. There's nothing that we can do to make that broken relationship with God right by ourselves. 
Our rebellion is too large for us to do anything about it. So we will be found guilty. The problem that humanity faces is vast beyond measure. So humanity finds itself trapped, unable to pay the penalty and unable to escape the penalty. And on that day, when the Lord returns, when Jesus returns, what Paul says in verse 6, the day of Christ Jesus, no one will be able to stand. All of humanity has rejected God. All of humanity has turned away. And on that day, God will allow those who have turned away from him to remain eternally separated from him in a place where there is no good thing, a place of eternal torment, a place the Bible calls hell. And Paul sees the awful place that humanity finds itself in. But God's love for us is so fierce that he won't leave us in the mess that we have made. Paul sees the awesome love of God and the amazing grace of God. Paul sees that the love of God allows a way to be made. He makes a way. Paul sees that the love of God makes a rescue possible from right judgment against us. And Paul sees now in Christ Jesus that God has broken into our world and God himself has paid the price of our rebellion in the most costly way imaginable through the death of his only son. The death of God's son so that rebellious humanity might have life. That because of the work of God in Christ on the cross, there is a way by which we can avoid that condemnation. You see, Christ came into our world as our representative to live the way that we should have lived, fulfilling the demands of the law perfectly, loving God and his neighbor. And then Jesus dies as our substitute in our place, taking the judgment that's rightly ours. And because of that, there's a glorious exchange. We receive Christ's robes of righteousness and he receives our punishment. He receives our judgment, paying the price in full for our rebellion, for those who will believe. Now, how can we be certain? How can we be certain? Because God raised Jesus to life and seated him on the throne of heaven, the king of kings. So now if we trust in him, we have been made right with God. Uh, this rescue from eternal condemnation, this salvation, a free gift. Extraordinary, isn't it? It's a free gift for anyone who would receive it. But we must receive it. We must accept it each for themselves. And if we do, my, if we do, what a wonderful treasure we have. All condemnation gone. We'd become children of God. We'd become God's holy people. We find ourselves no longer enemies, but children. And this love was poured out on us, not because of our goodness, but because of his grace. So now, the day of Christ Jesus for the believer, wow, it's a day of great joy. It's a day when we will be welcomed in to the arms of God and we will hear God say to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. On that day, we'll know Christ's embrace as he falls onto our neck and kisses us. 
This is God's work. This is God's love. This is the big picture. And for those who believe and trust in Jesus, we find ourselves inside that big picture. A big story, a true story. It's bigger than anything that we could tell ourselves. It's bigger than this life. It's eternal. God rescues us. He dwells with us now by his spirit. And he carries us safely through death to be with the Lord Jesus on that last day. That's the biggest and the strongest truth we need to bring our lives under. Nothing else comes close. And as we see, and if we will only see God's love for us, if we will look at that, it will just draw our hearts toward him. It's a love that beckons us to come close. It's a love that warms our hearts. It's a love where we know we are eternally loved and eternally safe. Peace with God as God's holy people. It's a love that draws us in. The love that draws us in is the same love that changes us. It's a love that transforms us. And that's our second point. Now, what does a transforming love look like? Uh, In the Bible, we believers, uh, men and women, all of us here today, we are called uh, the bride of Christ. And the picture of a bride readying herself for marriage, it's a good one, isn't it? To help us think about how love transforms us. Uh, From the point at which the engagement's secure, a ring goes on uh, between a man and a woman, which is equivalent to the point at which we say, yes, we trust in the Lord Jesus. From that point, we, the bride, look forward to the wedding day, the day of Christ Jesus. We, the bride, overwhelmed by the love that's been shown for us from from our future husband, having seen the extravagance of his love for us, well, we'll long to be as beautiful as we can be for the day that we meet him for that wedding supper. And to the degree that we can see Jesus' love for us, that, that big picture, We'll long to live in a way that he wants. Uh, Not because he's going to love us more. Uh, He's already betrothed himself to us. Uh, Not because we can earn his love. He's already shown us that by dying on the cross. But in response for the love that he has shown us. And in verse 11, Paul says that his prayer for the church, uh, for us uh, individually and collectively, is that our lives will be marked by fruit. That there'll be evidence uh, in our lives that we've trusted in Jesus and in his death on the cross and his resurrection. In other words, there'll be fruit of having been made right with God. What Paul calls the righteousness that comes through trusting in Christ. And ever practical Uh, Paul explains how this fruit in our life is born and how it transforms us. So take a look with me at verses uh, 9 through 11. He writes this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. 
Paul's prayer is that having trusted in Jesus, having been made right with God through the cross, that God's love for us would be alive in our hearts and that we would be transformed to bear fruit, bear fruit for that day of Christ Jesus. It's the love of God that comes into our hearts, the love that took Jesus to the cross, the love that will bring him back to gather his people to him, his holy people. It's that love that comes into our hearts. It comes in as we see what's been done for us and what it cost. And it changes our hearts. How? Well, in our old home in Godalming, in the utility room, uh, I came across once uh, a sponge uh, under the sink. And it was clear that it hadn't seen the light of day for quite some time. Um, And it was covered in dust, but it was hard as a brick. It was bone, bone dry. It was misshapen, it was hard, it was dusty. More like a block of wood than a sponge. Now before we come to Christ, that's a pretty good picture for what our hearts are like. But when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we surrender our lives, when we let his love shine abroad in our hearts, it's like that old sponge being placed in water. Slowly but surely, the hardness goes. The water seeps in, penetrates the deepest part of the sponge, and the sponge becomes soft. It is just completely full. Of water. The slightest squeeze and out it pours. It drips everywhere. The water transforms the sponge in the way that God's love transforms our hard hearts. His love comes in, it softens our hearts, fills them to overflowing with His love. And now Paul sets this out in three movements. Firstly, Uh, He says that our love may abound more and more, this is his prayer, in knowledge and depth of insight. Uh, Just as the big picture of God's sacrificial love towards us draws us to him, so as we surrender our lives to Christ, the same sacrificial love comes into our hearts and it changes them. As we see our rescuer loving us sacrificially, it will cause us to love those who he loves sacrificially too. And it's not in a kind of mealy-mouthed way, uh, but he says our love will abound. It will abound more and more. It will be focused on others and not on ourselves. Uh, Like the sponge that's overflowing with water, so our hearts will be filled to overflowing, abounding toward one another. It will gush forth. It will seek the other. It will lift up the other. It will surrender to the other. And in order to love God and to love others, we need to grow in our love for Christ, our knowledge of Christ, and to look into the things of God, the things revealed by God's word. We need knowledge and we need depth of insight so that we might know how, how to love and to serve one another. And coupled with that love and knowledge, there's what the translators call a depth of insight, which could be translated really as as wisdom, that we might know how wisely to deal with the people around us. 
We need to have love. We need to have knowledge and wisdom to bear fruit. We need all three. Love without knowledge and wisdom, love without knowledge and wisdom, will result in a love that never calls people on, never, never draws change, but rather leaves people trapped in their trials and trapped in their rebellion. It's a love that can never transform. There's an opposite error, and that is knowledge without love and wisdom. And knowledge without love and wisdom, well, that's harsh. It's exacting, it's cruel, and it's crushing. Now, you might see some change, but it won't be permanent. It will be brittle, and it will be definitely without joy. So we need to know how to apply knowledge and pour out love. And how do we do that? We need wisdom. We need to know when to be firm. And when just to sit in silence and hold the hand of the person that we're with. Now the challenge is, isn't it, our temperaments. Some of us are knowledge people. Some of us are love people, our temperaments. So we need to spend time in the wisdom literature in the Bible. We need to sit and meditate on the wisdom literature that we might grow in wisdom. To grow in knowledge and love of Christ and know how best to love one another. So for us, we need to continue to spend time in the Bible to meditate on scripture and to pray. We need to learn to listen to that still, small voice as he speaks to us by his spirit and through his word. And to study alone, but also to study in small groups to help one another lift out the truths of scripture to share testimonies of how God has been at work in the experiences that you've had in your life. Now, a great source of this is also to read biographies of Christians who have lived for Jesus and to see how God has been at work in them. So just some ideas there for how we can do that. Next, uh, Paul calls us on to discern. Having grown in love, knowledge and insight, all that is done so that we might discern what is best. We see that in verse 10. Now, Paul here is using a word that doesn't mean telling the difference between good and bad. Yeah, he uses a word that paints a picture of a goldsmith testing gold to get the purest, to discern which one is superior. He wants us to discern what is best, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent. And the thing that is most excellent is to glorify God. And that's the most excellent way in our lives, individually, and in the fellowship. And as Paul goes through this letter, we see time and time again, the model for discerning what is excellent is to love and encourage one another through service. Did you notice in verse 1, Paul describes himself in our reading as a servant of Christ. Actually, the Greek is doulos, which is a slave. He doesn't lord it over the church asserting his rights as an apostle, but he points to the image of Christ as one who didn't grasp equality with God, but emptied himself, dying on a cross, because that was what was needed. That Paul also says that he pours himself out 
in chapter 2 of the letter, for the spiritual well-being of the church. And that's a question for us. Where in our Christian life do we assert our rights? Where do we hold on to our privileges? And do we ever discern that what we're doing might be harming our brothers and sisters or the fellowship? Where do we insist on our rights? We need to discern what is best. And we all find ourselves, don't we, living with a competing demand in our lives, work, family, leisure, social matters. But where are you pouring out most of your energies, most of your time, most of your emotional capital? Where are you pouring out most of your energies? The things that you're doing may be really, really good things, but are they the best things that you could be doing? Uh, maybe do a bit of personal inventory, yeah, just to reflect on how you are uh, living. Look at the way you're spending your time, uh, your efforts, uh, your money. Are there better uses that you could be making of your time and resources to ready you and those around you for that day, for the day of Christ Jesus? He then goes on, that we might be pure and blameless. Now, having grown in knowledge and depth of insight and discernment, uh, the outworking of these things uh, is that we will grow to what the translators here say is pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Pure here uh, means that we will be unmixed or distinct. To be people with a single overriding goal for our lives. To love God and to love his people. People with a heart that is transparently, sincerely, and obviously set on one thing, set on Christ. And not people who aspire after the things of the world and have a little bit of Jesus on the side, but people who are so captivated by the love that we've been shown by Jesus that we can do nothing other then respond wholeheartedly and live for him. And the word that's uh, translated blameless here has the meaning uh, of not causing others to stumble. Yeah? That our words uh, and our deeds don't cause the Christians around us to use us as the reason for them not living for the Lord Jesus. So if we gossip, uh, if we uh, run people down, then other people will think that, well, if you're doing it, it's okay for me to do it. Uh, if we're not generous with our money, then others will look at us and say, well, if you're not generous, I don't need to be. If we half-heartedly follow Christ, it may cause others to be less fervent in their desire to grow in love, knowledge, and depth of insight. Now, there are many ways, aren't there, that we can grow to be pure and blameless. So just three things very quickly to consider. Firstly, keep very, very short accounts with people. Yeah. Don't let anger or resentment fester and corrode or destroy relationships. Seek to win people that you struggle with through love. Pray for them. Pray for the best for them and never run them down. Secondly, repent. Repent. When you make a mistake, when you slip up or when you get things badly wrong, 
go to your father in heaven and repent. Say sorry. And if you need to, apologize to the people or the person that you may have crossed. And keep looking for those areas of your life where you find it hard to surrender to God. That may be anger, maybe lust, maybe fear, maybe greed. And ask for God's help. Ask for God's help. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Ask him for help. And keep at it. And finally, every day, put on the full armor of God. We read that in Ephesians 6. Be deliberate. Be ready. And as we allow God's love, uh, a love that's uh, been revealed in that big picture, uh, all that God is doing from before creation, through creation, in the cross, and through to that final day and through all eternity, if we allow that rescuing, that redeeming, that reconciling, and that sacrificial love to be poured into our hearts, man, we're going to grow. We are going to grow in love, in knowledge, in insight, in discernment, and we are going to bear fruit for that day. Now, Neil preached on the fruit of the Spirit a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash that. Please do go back and listen uh, to that recording. But we will be people who are not only joyfully compassionate, but we'll be gentle and graceful. We'll be people who are winsome, winsomely wholehearted, living for Christ. We'll be people who long with all our heart to be made ready for that day when we meet the Lord Jesus, bearing fruit, uh, not for ourselves, but in order to bring glory to God. Now, I started this evening with uh, a short reflection on a conversation with a young friend whose big picture for his life really reached only as far as his job. For us as Christians, we have a truth that spans all time and is joyfully drawing us toward it, toward that joyful conclusion when we meet the Lord Jesus. And we have that love that comes into our hearts. The big picture we see and the love comes into our small picture, doesn't it? And it transforms us. It makes us beautiful as a bride being readied for her groom. And my prayer is that that vision, that story, that big picture has captured your heart. And that you long for fruit as you ready yourself to meet the Lord Jesus. We're going to have a bit of time of reflection after our next song. And so we're going to think about this uh, a little bit more. Uh, but for now, let me uh, just close in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, so much uh, for all uh, that you have done and are doing and will do. Thank you for that big picture that we find uh, ourselves drawn into. Your love. That draws us in. Father, help us. Help us uh, to look at that, to melt our hearts. Might our hard hearts become like that sponge filled with water, soft and overflowing with your love, that, that we might be transformed by that, bearing fruit as we look forward to the day that we meet you face to face. Help us with that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.